pick up First uh, Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be right where we left off. We're going to pick up verse 17. We're going to go down to verse 19. And we're going to see Paul, what we're, while you find that, we're going to see Paul give some instructions regarding the rich. Uh, what Timothy ought to do, how he ought to handle the uh, wealthy who are within the church. Hopefully by now we've found that. I'll read our passage. We'll have a word of prayer. We'll get to looking at it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning of verse 17, it goes like this. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Let's have a word of prayer as we get looking at this. Lord, we do thank you for this day that you've given to us. And I thank you for the variety in the days that you give to us. The variety of your creation is a beautiful thing. We see just a bit of the awesomeness of your grandeur. We ask that you guide us through your word here this morning. Show us what you'd have for us. And help us to be able to apply it in our lives. As we try to share the gospel with the world around us that desperately needs it. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So, as I started looking at this, I mean, you, you remember what we were at last week. We saw last week, it was just absolutely beautiful couple of verses we looked at, talking about the grandeur of Jesus Christ and God Almighty, the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he goes on and on. And you might think, after such a beautiful couple of verses last week, Paul, that's a perfect note to end on, wouldn't, isn't it? I mean, why not end on that? You've got this great crescendo you build up to, beautiful, stop. And we walk away and, wow, that was, what a great, great letter, Paul. The problem is, Paul's exactly like every preacher since then, and he doesn't have any idea how to stop there. And he's got one more thing. He, well, let me say one more thing. And it kind of ruins the ending. Preachers have been doing it since Paul. Uh, and that's exactly what's going on. I have no idea what brought up this one more thing that Paul's got to talk about in his mind. Maybe, I'll speculate here, it was this mention of wealth in uh, verses 9 and 10 that we looked at. You know, he, he talks about it. Uh, chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, he says, And they that will be rich fall into temptations and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts. Maybe that's what brought it back to his mind. Oh yeah, let's, let's come back to that and talk about that. I don't know. Maybe it was his encouragement to Timothy uh, in verse 12 that he said, to lay hold on to eternal life. We see that's how he ends up today's passage. Verse, uh, verse 19, he says, that they may lay hold on to eternal life. Same sort of thing as what we saw in verse 12. I don't know. But in any case, in any case, something made Paul think of how important it is for the rich also. And they, they need to lay up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. That they may lay hold on eternal life. And you know what? 
That's basically the same advice he's given to all of us throughout. It's a good policy for every single one of us. Whether we've looked at widows, we've looked at elders, we've looked at slaves, now we're looking at rich, and we all come back to the same thing. Lay up a good foundation for the day to come that you may lay hold on eternal life. Now, one of the things that I do find interesting in today's passage is that it's one of the only places in the whole Bible where the rich are addressed in a positive note. One of the only times in the entire Bible where the rich are addressed in a positive way. Paul cared for every class and every type of people in the church. Every single one. We've already, as I say, we've already covered widows, we've covered elders, uh, we've covered slaves, we've covered Timothy himself, we've covered all kinds of people. We've, we've even covered the false teachers in Ephesus. Now we're looking at the wealthy. Now, sometimes, sometimes preachers are tempted to show favor to the wealthy within their church. Uh, and sometimes preachers take just the opposite view and they hold them in disdain. You've got both sides of the fence. But Paul doesn't do either. He just shows them what their part in the spread of the gospel ought to be. Because remember, that's really the only task you and I have. We claim to be Christians, right? Wow, dead silence. Does anybody in the house claim to be a Christian today? Amen. All right, thank you. We claim to be Christians, and we have one goal. You know, you see these Internet memes that are out there. You had one job, right? We've got one job, and that is to share the gospel with this world around us. How are we doing? And here today, we're looking at how the wealthy can help. And Paul wants Timothy to watch and to make sure that the wealthy don't destroy themselves with their wealth, like we already saw the dangers of that. They can fall into temptations and snares. We've already looked at that. I'm not going to do it again. But instead, what he ought to be doing is to show them how they can use their wealth in the proper direction. Wealthy folks in the church can be a real boost to ministry, can't they? It's true today, just as it was true in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. Now, when Paul says, charge them, uh, verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world. Uh, we've gone over this exactly five times so far. This is the fifth and final time that he's using this Greek word, paragelo. Paragelo here in ch to charge in 1 Timothy. We've already seen three of them target Timothy. I charge you, Timothy. I charge you, Timothy. I charge you, Timothy, three times. While here, and in chapter 1 and verse 3, it's directed toward other folks. In this case, the command is directed at Timothy, uh, at them that are rich in this world. Timothy is to give a charge to them that are rich in this world. Timothy's told by Paul to make sure that these wealthy folks avoid two very different wasteful courses of action. A couple of different ways you can waste your privilege, your status. And that's being high-minded and trusting in your riches. Two different destructive things you can do. And then, Timothy's told 
five useful courses that they, of action that they should focus on. Don't focus on being high-minded. Don't focus on trusting on your riches. And then there's five other courses you should, should follow. See, Paul doesn't want them to give up or to deny their wealth. Some, some churches have taught that in the past. So, oh, you should give everything up and you should live as a, a monk. That's not what Paul's saying here. Rather, he wants them to use it in a meaningful way for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, if you find yourself to be wealthy in this world, it's a gift from God, isn't it? And it ought not to be wasted, just like any gift from God. It ought not to be wasted. Now, you, you and I may not realize it, but in the early church, there was quite a variety of folks. We've talked about it over and over. I'll talk about it a little bit more here. I'm not going to really beat it to death. The vast majority of new believers in the early church were slaves. I'll argue that a lot of that's probably still true today. But we also know from reading some of Paul's other writings, particularly the book of Romans and things, that there were even members of Caesar Nero's household who were Christians. Caesar Nero, the most powerful man on earth at the time, and not a very nice person, some of his family were believers. So you've got bottom stratum of society, the slaves, and you've got the most powerful man on earth, some of his family were Christians as well. People from the very lowest classes to the highest classes were believers. And that's true to some extent even today, isn't it? Uh, and it will be true as long as there are believers. Even in Jesus' day, the disciples were supported by some wealthy women. Uh, we see that. Let's, let's go over and look at that. Uh, what is, I mean, here's Jesus and his disciples wandering around we know Peter was a fisherman. He presumably went back to fishing in between times. Uh, but they were being supported a little bit. Uh, we can see that in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, uh, specifically verse 3. Just taking it out of context, but it says, And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto them of their substance. Someone from Herod's family was supporting Jesus and his disciples financially. The rich can be a blessing to the church groups that they find themselves a, a member of. But one of the dangers is that the rich are often pretty used to telling other folks what to do, aren't they? One of the thing, perks that comes with uh, power and status, and sometimes their own prosperity, causes them to look down on those who are less fortunate than them. You see, it isn't their wealth that's evil, but rather how they have used that and they've, how they have allowed their wealth to influence them. Paul tells Timothy to command these people. Remember, paragelo is a very strong command. It's a militaristic sense. Very strong command. Absolutely make no question about this. Do not be arrogant or high-minded, as the King James says. The rich are not supposed to exalt themselves, especially not within the church. Now, Timothy's also told to, to command the wealthy not to put trust in their wealth. 
He even gives a reason why not to. Why wouldn't I put trust in my wealth? I've got money, I can, I can buy whatever I need. Why wouldn't you do that? Because it's uncertain. That's what he says. Nor trust in uncertain riches. Did you know that wealth is uncertain? Did you know that? I mean, it seems even more uncertain today. Uh, you could just take a look at the stock market any day you want to. One day it may look like you're doing all right. The next day uh, you're in the gutter. Wealth is uncertain. Wealth is uncertain. Paul's already told Timothy to put his hope in the living God. Remember that back in chapter 4 and verse 10? He says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. See, there's a remarkable difference, isn't there? Earthly wealth is limited and it's uncertain. There's only so much wealth in this world. Uh, by the way, the uh, United States debt has exceeded the wealth that is in the world right now. Uh, there, we actually owe more than there is wealth in the world. That's something to think about. I don't even know how that's possible. But uh, anyway, that's where we're at right now. Earthly wealth is limited, and it's uncertain. But my God is unlimited, and He is faithful. Thank you. Uh, let's look at what uh, Solomon, who probably was the wealthiest man who ever lived, had to say in Proverbs chapter 30. If I can find it. There we go. Proverbs chapter 30, specifically verses 8 and 9. Here's his advice, or his prayer to go. Uh, actually, this is, not, this is not Solomon. I apologize. This is Agur. Sorry. Uh, he says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food conveniently, convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of the, my God in vain. We get a warning about the dangers of wealth. Wealth and the concern about maintaining it can block out our concern for the living God. See, the wealthy need to make sure that they learn to live with their focus on God more than on their wealth. And that's difficult to do sometimes. And Paul is calling on Timothy to help make sure that they are able to do that. That's what Timothy's job is. They can be, the wealthy that is, can be very beneficial to the church, but they may need help maintaining the correct focus. So verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So now, Paul gives Timothy a list of positive things that they ought to be working on. We've gotten two negatives, now we're going to five positive things. And this, by the way, is the job of any church leader, to show God's people how they can help to spread the gospel to the world around them. Remember, that's the one job we have. The one job we have. It's not to do anything else other than to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church leaders are not to be bossy, and they're not to be moral policemen, telling people how they ought to live, why you hadn't ought to be doing that. 
That's not our job. They're to show people how we all can help share the gospel to a lost and a dying world. That's the only thing we need to do. Sometimes we don't stay focused on that very well, do we? Now, some churches have taught that the wealthy ought to give up all their wealth and distribute it to the poor so that we all have enough. Uh, that's what I finished talking about. The church has taught that over the years, that monks ought to give up everything. If you're wealthy, you give it all up. And, and it sounds like a good idea. Oh, sure, let's have all the wealthy give up all their wealth and we'll evenly distribute it, except there isn't enough wealth in the world to do that. If all the wealthy people in the world distributed all their wealth to everyone until we all had the exact same amount, every single person on earth would be below the poverty level. Every single one. And that's just the truth. So you can listen to any bleeding heart talking about what we ought to do. That's, it's just not going to work. It's not conceivably possible. And that's why Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. There will always be poor. That's a fact of life. There needs to be wealthy people to increase productivity and to employ poor people to support themselves. That's the fact. And this is, I'm going to get a little bit political here. This is why we need to oppose taxing the wealthy. Because we don't need to drive the wealthy away. We need them to stay and to employ me to do more work to earn a living. Simple facts of life. But what Timothy is to do is to tell the wealthy to do good. To do good. Now that's an interesting Greek word and it's very hard to pronounce. Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce it. Agathorgeo. Agathorgeo. It's only found one other place in the New Testament. And that's in Acts chapter 14, verse 17, where it describes the good gifts of God providing rain and crops. So wealth holds the potential to cause all kinds of effects. It can cause good effects. It can cause bad effects. God wants these effects to be in line with his own perfect plan. And what is God's perfect plan? Somebody help me. To share the gospel around the world. This is, this is one focus here. We need to share the gospel around the world. God wants those effects that wealth can have to be in line with his plan. The wealthy, in doing good, are participating in God's will. Secondly, it says that they are to be rich in good works. We've already seen, uh, he describes them at the beginning of verse 17, they are rich in the world. Timothy wants to change that to that they are rich in good works. Now, that sounds a lot like the last thing we looked at. The last thing we looked at is that they do good. Now they need to be rich in good works. And they kind of go hand in glove. Throughout the New Testament, we see good works described as doing those things which are in line with what? The sharing of the gospel. That's what good works always are tied with in the New Testament. Sharing the gospel. Interestingly, the way this is worded here, it's not that the wealthy ought to be looking for good things to do with their money. We see that all around us. Well, here's a good thing to do with it. Here's a good thing to do with it. That's not what it's saying here. Rather, it's specifically talking about what they ought to be doing. 
He's talking about a pattern of good works that come out of a relationship with God that can match the standards of his word. Now, Jesus warned against not doing that. Let's look at what Jesus had to say. Luke chapter 12, verse 21. Jesus is talking, and again, I'm going to jump right in and rip it out of context, but it's a familiar verse. He's talking about, uh, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Talking about the uh, rich man who wasn't spending his uh, wealth properly. Jesus gives a warning about that. And then back to Paul in uh, Timothy, the third thing that he says is that they ought to be ready to distribute. Some Bibles say to be generous. It's not a bad translation. The word that's translated here is eumetodotos. Uh, Eumetodotos, it's a very rare Greek word. Uh, Paul's using very specific language here. He grabs a very rare word that's not used anywhere else, really. Uh, he's trying to make a point. It me- he means to give without any kind of hesitation at all. Without even, don't even think about it. Just be ready in an instant. Being completely magnanimous is the idea. I can take care of that, no problem. That's how their mindset ought to be. You got a problem? I can take care of it? Done. Consider it done. That's that's the mentality we're talking about. Fourthly, he says, willing to communicate. They're called to be willing to communicate. And that's an unfortunate translation in the old King James. Uh, In the old English, communicate means to share. To share. The Greek word is koinonikos. Uh, simply means to have in common. We know, I've given you a few Greek studies in the past. We know what koine means, in common. Oikos, you've seen the yogurt on the shelves in the, uh, in the grocery store, the oikos, Greek yogurt. That means we. We share. Koinonikos. The idea is to be a sharing individual. The wealthy ought to be willing to share with those who are in need at a moment's notice. Verse 19. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. Again, there is no uh, sentence break between verse 17, verse 18, verse 18, and verse 19. There is no sentence. This is a continuous thought. One continuous sentence. Personally, I don't believe there should have been any verse break either, but that's just me personally. Uh, and if we, if we realize that, we're coming to the uh, fifth point in our series here. Laying up for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. Fifth thing that they should be doing. And Jesus used very similar language on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and I'm going to run the risk of, it's all right if I steal your thunder a little bit. All right. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. I'm really treading close on what Brother Fisher's been talking about, but I'm going to do it. He gave me the thumbs up. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And Jesus has to say, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Very similar words from Jesus himself. What's different here is that in Timothy, we're called to lay a foundation for a coming age. A little bit different. A little bit different. Jesus was talking a little bit more on a personal sense. Uh, and that's, it's true, it's accurate. I'm not demeaning that. But Paul to Timothy here is talking about laying up a foundation for a coming age. See, we as Christians, and some of us said that we are Christians here this morning, we as Christians are to live in light of an age that is yet to come. I believe that there is another age coming, and that ought to be critical to how I make decisions in this age right here. Now, in this coming age, physical wealth is going to have zero meaning at all. Zero meaning at all. If we live this life showing generosity, and how can I help to spread the gospel with this world around me, which is the ultimate generosity, then we're building a firm foundation for the future, don't you see? Because that's what's important in that coming age. Now, I hope you noticed, as we went through these five aspects of uh, Paul's command, they come together in another one of these already but not yet promises. Uh, we take hold of, we should be doing that right now, we should already be laying hold of eternal life, which is yet future and coming. We've seen several of those throughout 1 Timothy. Right now, you should be doing something in light of something else that is future. We saw that sort of uh, logic in verse 12, too. Uh, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. Same sort of language. We'll wrap up this morning with one more thought. The rich in this age are to be looking forward to and building a foundation for the age to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. That doesn't mean this is how they're going to earn their eternal life. The word uh, to lay hold of is the exact same one that's used in verse 12. Epilimbano. No matter who you are or what your status is in life, we're all called to the exact same thing, aren't we? No matter who you are, whether you're working, whether you're retired, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, doesn't matter, men, women, whatever you might think you are, it doesn't matter. We're all called to do the exact same thing. We're to live life in a manner which leads us to lay hold onto eternal life. And if we keep eternity in our mindset, we're not going to be so focused on these silly little temporary issues of life nearly so much, are we? Because even the newspaper doesn't focus on them very long, does it? It'll say one thing today and it'll say something else tomorrow. There's no folk We hadn't ought to be focused too much on it either. It's very fleeting. This life is very fleeting. We ought to be working on one thing. Anybody remember what that is? 
sharing the gospel with this lost world around us. That's the only thing we need to focus on. And let's do that this week. Diane, you got the last word. That's right. That's right. As simple as that. 